Hello and welcome. If you didn't know, I'm your host, Catherine Gelvin, psychic medium, self-worth coach, and true crime addict, and this is Murder and Mediumship. If this is your first time listening, then I'm so glad you found the show, and if it isn't, and you haven't left some stars and a shout out, then head on over to Spotify and iTunes and spread some love so the show can reach the ears of more listeners. Thank you to the show's patrons who this quarter are funding donations to BQIC, Black Queer and Intersectional Community. Black Queer and Intersectional Community is a grassroots collective working toward a world where Black LGBTQIA people can live safe, healthy, and flourishing lives. Since they are grassroots, they rely primarily on donations to fund their work. And of course, a link to check out that organization, as well as to join our Patreon, will be provided in the show notes, as will the links to all of the resources for this episode. So let's get to the case. Sequoia Cooper, Aubrey Dameron, Nikki Kuhnhausen, Gabby Petito, Lacey Peterson, and Kristen Smart. Six women, all missing, all someone's daughter, friend, or sister, Three names you know fairly well, and three you have probably never heard of before. If you were to Google any of the three names, Gabby Petito, Lacey Peterson, or Kristen Smart, you're going to have millions of results. Absolutely millions. Google the first three, Sequoia Cooper, Aubrey Dameron, and Nikki Kuhnhausen, and you have just barely over half a million total. Those first three millions per person and those second three combined have 564,000 combined. So who are Sequoia Cooper, Aubrey Dameron, and Nikki Kuhnhausen? All three of them are transgender women who either went missing or have been found murdered. Sequoia Cooper, age 33, at the time of her disappearance from Columbus, Ohio, Aubrey Dameron, age 25, from Grove, Oklahoma, the outskirts of Cherokee Nation, and Nikki Kuhnhausen, age 17, from Vancouver, Washington. And we talk about marginalized communities a lot on this show, and when the case of Sequoia Cooper was brought up, was brought to my attention earlier in February of this year of 2022, I bumped her straight to the top of the list. And as I started looking into her case, I found more information than I was expecting, but I also had to dig a lot more than I would have to say for Gabby Petito, who went missing in August of 2021. And now, again, when I say that I found more information than I was expecting, I mean, it was more than one or two articles. Um, but a lot of the articles did repeat, and a lot of the articles were local. Literally none of them were national news headlines. So again, the searchers all speak for themselves. And I sent a text to a friend of mine who lives a bit outside of Columbus, Ohio area, and asked her if she had ever heard of Sequoia Cooper. And for someone who watches the news pretty regularly, she had not even heard of her on more local channels. And again, isn't far outside of the Columbus area. If we aren't hearing about her locally, then we already know that her case has not been shared nationally. As names like Gabby Petito, Natalie Holloway, and Chandra Levy pop images into our heads of exactly what these women looked like, we can see their faces still on the news. We have no idea who Sequoia Cooper is. What's more is that as we move out of Black History Month and just recently celebrated International Women's Day, here we are celebrating women. It's imperative that we turn up the volume on issues pertaining to those who identify as women as well. 
Every voice counts. And Sequoia Cooper, we hear your story. And we hope that with more attention drawn to your case, we can find you. Sequoia Cooper was born as Devin Cooper, adopted by her mother, Luann Cooper, though I'm not sure at what age she was adopted. While I am unaware of the nature of the adoption, I do know that her biological brother, James Carswell, and her biological mother, Gina Lowe, were in communication with her regularly. On August 31st, 2021, Sequoia left her home on Howie Road in the North Columbus neighborhood of Linden around 11.30 p.m. to drive down to the corner store to buy water. She got into her 2009 black Ford Fusion, and not only did she not return home that evening, but she didn't make it to the store either. And at this time, she was wearing a black and white striped summer dress and black and white baby fat sandals. Now, she didn't live alone. She did have a partner who lived with her. And according to that partner of seven years, actually, so they had been together for a long time, whose name is in various news sources, so I will share it here. His name is Richard Harris. She evidently received a text message of which the context is unknown, and she left. She got into her car, and she headed down to the corner store. Again, I'm not sure of the exact date of what the conversation was that happened around this, if she just said, like, hey, I'm headed out to get some water or, or whatever. Um, it's just, it's so peculiar. But And again, I'm not exactly sure of the date that she was reported missing or who even reported her, but she was last seen on August 31st around 1130 at night. Her family couldn't get into touch with, couldn't get into touch, couldn't get in touch with her. They couldn't make contact with her and found it very strange as she spoke to Luann every single day before Luann went into work. And this is what I kind of want to make a little, a brief pause here and say the reason that I couldn't find who reported her missing, it wasn't for lack of trying. I Googled my brains out looking for information, more information about her being reported missing, when it actually happened, that sort of thing. And it's just, it's not public knowledge, evidently. I mean, I'm sure I could find it if I did a little more sleuthing or made some phone calls, but ultimately you could find almost to the minute when so many of these other women were reported missing. But Harris and Cooper had moved to the Columbus area from Toledo, Ohio, roughly three years prior. Harris had cited that it was time for a change of scenery. Intuitive interjection here, I feel like there was more of a reason to move than a simple change of scenery, but truly these ongoing investigations are just way too fresh to be cold cases. I can't comfortably say more about what I see. So please know that while this episode may seem short on intuitive downloads, it's completely inappropriate for me to express everything that I see in here and feel about this case. And I will absolutely be updating as more information hopefully comes out as the last updates that can be found online are in the middle of February. They're early February. Like I think the 11th was the latest I had seen. And at the time of recording, we're in the middle of the month of March. And I don't normally like share this sort of thing, but I think it's important considering that um, this is a new case. It is, it's not new. It's not fresh, but it is new enough. And there are such a lack of answers out there that I don't want to cover anything that maybe later we end up finding out more about what happened or there's there's some movement in the case that would be fantastic to be able to update y'all on. But for now, there's very little information known. And as you've already seen when we're talking about missing persons of color to begin with, their stories aren't really shared in the same way that it's shared when it's a 
pretty missing white person. But anyway, it's 10 times harder to get their story out there when they're trans. On top of it, it, it brings a completely different stigma to the whole, to sharing their story, which is kind of bullshit. And is exactly why we're sharing her story today to try to break that and, and move the media in a direction where we are sharing more freely everyone's story versus just what sells on CNN or whatever. But I have a few questions going into this. Like, was Harris the one who reported Cooper missing? I'd be interested to know that. And if anyone finds information on that, please let me know because, again, I just couldn't find it. And I have my feelings on it. And I don't want to express them publicly because this episode is to shed light and awareness on Sequoia's disappearance. So definitely a little bit different than what I'm normally doing on here. We all know that the first person of interest is always a significant other. Richard is also considerably older than Sequoia in his early 50s, and she's in her early 30s. And I don't want to, I don't want to point any fingers. I don't want to make any assumptions. And I know there are plenty of healthy relationships where there's significant age difference between two people. But something, I don't know, just doesn't sit right with me here. So Harris tells the public that not long after her disappearance, he received anonymous reports of having seen Sequoia at various gas stations. Now, police have made no mention of this whatsoever. But surveillance footage showed nothing, just like the surveillance footage at the corner store she had been headed to the night of her disappearance showed nothing. He also turned over text messages to detectives that were demanding $7,000 for her return or $500 just to speak with her. Harris told the local news stations like ABC News 6 in Columbus that he felt as if detectives brushed the messages off as if they were pranks, and he believes that the police know more than they are telling him. Now, Harris also told the reporters that he and Sequoia were experiencing absolutely no problems and everything was good between the two of them. Of course, that's kind of what we're always led to believe, even when it is a domestic. But again, we don't know anything about that. So we're just kind of going on what it is that he has said. So he covered the parks and streets for miles and miles surrounding their home together that the two of them shared putting up flyers with Sequoia's photo and information, hoping that the right person will see her face and come forward with important information. But so far, it just hasn't happened. And according to one source, it was reported that there are two people of interest, so police will not comment as to who these people are or even if there are simply, if there even is anyone of interest in the case right now. And briefly, I would really like to take a break here to remind you all that I do private readings that you can book on my website, katherineannintuitive.com. I have recently eliminated the 45-minute reading, so you can book a 30- or 60-minute reading at this time, and we are booking into May. So if you are looking to have a reading before summertime, I would book it now, as I am also taking off a good month over the summer to spend it with family and to visit family up north. I'm also in the process of launching something a little bit different from things that I have done in the past. So if you are just beginning to step out as an entrepreneur in your spiritual work or have just begun your journey in entrepreneurship or even in your spiritual journey, but something just isn't working, if you're ready to create the life of your dreams rather than living in the standard, if you're ready to manifest the things that you're actively trying to manifest but it's not seeming to come to fruition, I want you to imagine that your life that you desire, it's not illogical. It's not out of reach. It's just that there are a few energetic shifts that have to be made 
to help you live that life and help you make those connections. So picture that you're booking your clients regularly, your classes are filling up, and you are a desired and influential presence in your community. Not only that, but you have an overflow of abundance to give from, a business that is steadily growing, and not only that, but you have plans, directions, and tools in your possession to continue this personal and professional growth when our time together is complete. Imagine that as a busy person who is constantly called to new ideas and experiences that you have established routines that actually work for you, even though many in the past have not. Money coming in with ease and no strain. Click the link in the show notes to book a no pressure free call to see if the pillar, a 12 week program is the right program to help you make these shifts and get your business out there, getting more money into the hands of good people. Now we're going to jump back into the case. The Columbus police found Sequoia's 2009 Black Ford Fusion in another area of the city in October. It had different plates attached to it, and after finding the vehicle and forensic forensic evidence had been collected, which again, that evidence hasn't been made public, they made an official statement that foul play was was absolutely suspected. Sergeant Scott Leroy of the Columbus Police Department Missing Persons Unit held a small press conference with James, Luann, and Gina where they made a public plea for any information about Sequoia's whereabouts or disappearance be made known so that they can have their baby back. We can speculate as to why Harris wasn't at this conference, but I don't want to invent facts here. I do find it odd that he wouldn't be a part of the press conference, though. There's always more going on than what we know, and it could be a very simple explanation as to why he wasn't there. To add concern to the case, though, Sequoia wasn't even added to the NamUs system, the National Missing and Unidentified Person System, until two weeks, almost three weeks, really, September 22nd, after her disappearance, and she went missing the 31st of August. All of this to say that police have no new information, no tips coming in, and not enough evidence to even name a person of interest to the public. Sequoia's case has gone cold before it should have even been out of the media. It's not even there yet. So let's help get her story there. Let's give this story more attention. Let's give her what she deserves and let's find out what happened to Sequoia Cooper so that her family, so that Sequoia can have some peace and the respect and the justice that they all deserve. This sort of thing isn't unusual in the LGBTQ community either. Charlie Stewart, who identifies as they and them, is the organizer of the Black Queer and Intersectional Collective, and they speak about how it's not uncommon that cases like this one experience a lot of missteps in police work done around their case, and they aren't reported as quickly, their missing reports aren't taken as seriously, and they don't get any media attention at all. And what they do get is never enough. Black trans women are subjected to more violence and are more likely to become victims of fatal violence, according to the Human Rights Campaign. And I want to leave you with this from the Human Rights Campaign website. And this is a direct quote. Fatal violence disproportionately affects transgender women of color, particularly black transgender women, and that the intersections of racism, sexism, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, and unchecked access to guns conspire to deprive them of employment housing, healthcare, and other necessities. HRC's foundation's Dismantling a Culture of Violence report demonstrates how anti-transgender stigma, denial of opportunity, and increased risk factors compound to create a culture of violence and provides clear ways that each of us can directly make an impact to make our society a safer place for transgender and gender non-conforming people. 
as is too often the case in the reporting of violence against transgender and gender nonconforming people, many of these victims are misgendered in local police statements and media reports, which can delay our awareness of deadly incidents. In the pursuit of greater accuracy and respect for transgender and gender nonconforming people in both life and death, HRC offers guidelines for journalists and others who report on these communities. These guidelines, as well as the Dismantling a Culture of Violence report, are posted in the show notes, and I really recommend going just going over them, just looking at them. So if you feel like you don't have a good understanding of how to address trans people or how to handle pronouns that are maybe different from what you're used to, Ignorance is not an excuse. The information is right here for you. I'm leaving it linked. Please educate yourself. It'll take minutes and will make a huge difference in the way that you are respecting people who you may not even realize you're disrespecting. Again, ignorance is not an excuse. It's not. We have to do better. And I've said it before in the show. It's not enough to not be racist. We have to be actively anti-racist, and that means sharing stories like Sequoia's to ensure that her story receives the coverage that it deserves. That means flooding news inboxes and phone lines with demands for her story, as well as stories like hers to be shared. It means actively sharing them yourself. We have the power to shift the paradigm, and as people, we can do great things when many of us contribute in even small ways. Share her story. Share her story and stories of others like her who are not being seen in the community, who are not being seen by media. In fact, one of the reports that I want to share with you, and I didn't plan on sharing this either, but it was, I believe, 44 people, 44 trans people were killed in 2020. And with these 44 killed, that number is probably completely wrong because a lot of these reports are misreported. Police reports may list a trans woman as he. They may list them by their name that was given at birth. They list them by their their biological gender or their biological sex. And it's not it's not giving us accurate information to even study to begin with. So when we start demanding that we address people in the way that they desire to be addressed, when we start we start utilizing this system in a way that will make it easier to track crimes against trans people, we will have a better idea of just how many trans people are killed or even violently injured if the if the violent attack doesn't lead to a death. Maybe it's not counted, but if it was a near death, we're still not seeing the numbers in in a very accurate way. So as you listen to this episode, please go to the website linked in the show notes. Please click on the HRC guidelines. Please educate yourself on how to address trans people and how to address this phenomenon that is sweeping the U.S. where we are seeing more trans people being killed and being victims of violent crimes all because we as a society aren't doing our due diligence in educating ourselves and in being a safe place for trans people. Can we please share the stories of the women who are not being seen by the public? 
so that their stories can be heard and we can bring more eyes and ears to this situation at hand so that we can make this a safer place and a more inclusive place for all people. Next week, we will be covering the disappearance of Aubrey Dameron. Thanks for listening.